Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're here to cover Season 4, Episodes 1's Feedback. Uh, that's the auguries. Aaron, what's the omen on feedback? What's it looking like? We've got a decent amount. Um, right. We've got a lot of stuff that's like, uh, you know, um, there, there's a lot of common themes. And as always, when we get multiple feedback around the same kind of thing, I try to go with the first or the the one that most illuminates a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start that off with two of a pair pondering the nature of Christine's reality. But before we get to that, again, Westworld at BaldMove.com is how you participate in this feedback uh, show. Did you get a chance to look at uh, My Father's Dragon, the children's oh, book published no. in 1948 by Ruth Stiles Gannett? I forgot all about that. No, I, I started uh, I, uh, I started to read it. Um, I got in like because it, it's not uh, they're, they're burying the dragon lead. It's my father's cat. The first chapter. And I'm, I'm learning about hmm. this, uh, the childhood of this girl's father. And his explorations with the cat. I haven't gotten anything super relevant yet. I did notice with interest that the originally illustrated uh, book, which I found a PDF. It's pretty easy to find PDFs online in different free libraries. I'm not sure about the legality of this. I just mm-hmm. think it's weird that like you got a Kindle book for a buck and a free audio book. And there's like, so maybe it's public domain. Uh, this is all set in a fictional island that. Okay. I, I need to get some maps and compare, but it, it, it reminded me a lot of like the layout of the Westworld Island. Mm-hmm. So definitely they're definitely, they're definitely playing games with this, my father's dragon book. And uh, I'm curious to see, I imagine with another week, uh, I'll certainly have a chance to read it all. And uh, if uh, any of the, the Reddit hive mind out there, uh, gets into it as well. Anyway, like I said, there's a, a pair of emails that were considering the same thing about uh, Christine's reality. I want to give credit to the first one, Mary here, who said, is there any chance that Christine's timeline is in the past that she's writing for games that are precursors to the Westworld creation or simultaneous? That could explain why she and maybe Teddy are humans. If she ends up being a model for the park, uh, Dol- Dolores, maybe she writes a version one of the Dolores character. What doesn't make sense, then, is the guy who commits suicide saying she's writing stories for him and others. Unless she is some kind of game escapee, maybe her timeline is happening outside the park at the same time hosts are becoming sentient inside the park. Um, before yeah, responding to Mary... Oh, okay. go ahead. If you have some thoughts, go ahead and talk about them, because there's a, a Todd B. Uh, came in a day or two later, but he had a lot more elaborate thoughts on this. Uh, my, my initial objection to this is this would have to be a long time in the past and Christina 
being sort of the 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 progenitor of Dolores um I don't know all the technology we see is roughly the same in Christina's world as to what we've seen in the timeline of Westworld so like I I just don't know how that could line up without some you know artificial trickery yeah the fact so the the part of Westworld's timeline where Ford and Arnold are developing the hosts, the Argos initiative is roughly 2012 to 2015 with the beta beta, beta testing of the park happening in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like if, if it was a precursor to the Westworld, it's not that we didn't have VR realities in that time frame, but they certainly weren't as developed as, as uh, what we're seeing here in the show. Well, I think I mean, that is think about like cars and vehicles, right? They don't look even similar to how they looked uh, 25, 40, 50 years ago, right? It's like mm. in this world, those those transport pods we see look identical to the ones we've seen in the Westworld reality timeline. So like it's just I don't know. I mean, 50 years of no technological progress on the automated car front seems crazy to me. Let's go consider Todd B's thoughts on this topic. Says, so as I was listening to you guys joke about alternate timelines and realities throughout the new uh, episode and laughing it up because they definitely wouldn't do that to us again. But wait a minute. What if we're being young William again? Christina's story makes sense if this is the genesis of Westworld 1.0, a startup company creating a secret revolutionary immersive reality experience, relying on a video game company as a front to create the content for it without spilling the beans of what it actually is, at least until not until it's ready. I say Westworld 1.0, but why did I say that? If memory serves, wasn't there an iteration of the park before the park we see in season one? It's kind of vaguely alluded to that might have been the Westworld from the movie. I don't know about that. Um, Let's stop here. There was a version of Westworld before that ended in Arnold getting his brains blown out and the host turning savage and do all that stuff. That was like, like, like before they, I think, opened to the public. Um, yeah. But Dolores is already an established character. So if we're yeah. trying to find a Dolores Christine like past, like you're going to have to go back into the early 2000s, even late 90s. And I'm not sure, like Jim, there's a lot of problems with the world that Christina lives in that doesn't seem like it would support this theory. Um, anyway, um, wasn't that park shut down because of problems? Maybe these are problems that are plaguing Christina. I know what you're thinking. What about Teddy? We'll probably find out Teddy is from Olympiad Corporate Security, protecting employees from the problem. We'll appear in Christina's stories because she's seen him around the office. The hallucinatory nature of Christina's attack. Well, if there's a very real cut in her arm, it makes part of it real. Evan Rachel Wood did say Christina is human, so there's that too. And about the tower, the tower will find out is a fact, uh, another hobo hoem. Rehoboam, Rehoboam's less sophisticated predecessor, or Rehoboam 0.03 beta build 32, which would make this one big inception mess because Rehoboam, it's, I can't remember how to pronounce this anymore, Jim. Is it, Uh, it's Rehoboam. Rehoboam, But if you listen to Ciroc say it, he always calls it Rehoboam. Okay, that's what I thought. That's where we got the Robo Hobo uh, nickname for it last season. Because Robo Hobo puts the people in the uh, and puts them on their loops, and in Christina's case, her loop is to make loops for AI characters in a theme park that will one day rebel, escape, and destroy the system. I don't buy it. 
I don't buy it. I don't think the timelines from what we know, because like they have done enough. Like I know our buddy Kim Renfro did exhaustive work on, you know, coming up with a coherent timeline for mm-hmm. Westworld and pinning it to real world dates and stuff. And they've done enough to where I don't think they have the wiggle room, you know, to do what you guys are suggesting. Now, there's so many possibilities when you think mm-hmm. of. 3000 years into the future where some of this stuff might be taking place of uh, AI as a whole, trying to recreate humanity from their remembrances, remembrances of the past. Oh, this could all be a factor in. And and there's Um, just so many possibilities from a storytelling perspective, right? I mean, when you said we were being young William, I thought you were going to go down the multiple timelines being shown from different angles kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, And, you know, that could lean into like the idea of, Teddy, when he comes in and attacks uh, Peter or Maeve's attacker, or sorry, sorry, Dolores's attacker, Christina, um, mm-hmm. she glances away and then glances back and he's gone, right? And that could be a timeline trickery. Right. That could be the fact that he's like a host who's super strong. He can pull somebody away and run real fast. I don't know. Um, but yeah, from a storytelling perspective, they could be doing any number of things with simulations or timeline trickeries. I just don't think. The one thing I feel like I can say almost for certain is this is not a human Christina in a pre-Westworld timeline that we're seeing. But and and just to reiterate, I, I honestly can't say that for sure either. And just to reiterate, I don't believe a goddamn word that comes out of Joy Nolan and <laughs> right. Woods' mouth about the current season that they're on. Like yeah. most of the time, when creatives are asked about their work, they just refuse to talk about it. But there are others that will engage in bullshit and lies uh, to service mm-hmm. the stories they're being told. And, and like I, I'm, that's always in the back of my mind. Now, postseason uh, retrospective, they don't usually lie about that kind of stuff. But like mm-hmm. we're right at the beginning of a puzzle box show and you think they're just going to drop that and, and, and have it mean the literal truth. Right. It's far more likely they're obi wanting us. Right. From a certain but, point but of I view, think- she's human. Yeah. But I think that's why people are so desperately wanting to make this a well, I'm, I'm not accusing you guys of being desperate. I think the reason that people's brains are going in that direction, if I bring back the inflammatory rhetoric a bit, is that um, the only way for her to be literally human, I think we all know, is for her to predate Westworld yeah. and for Dolores to be based on someone's remembrance, remembrance of her. Uh-huh. That's the only way like, they, she could literally, there's no fucking way a pure born purebred human can come out popping looking out looking like a host right unless they were based on some past iteration of them mm-hmm. um at least that's the way i think now at least i wouldn't buy it as a television watcher i'm, I'm not right i'm not saying oh uh, some coincidence of the universe brought about a human that looks exactly like a host that wasn't modeled after that human now um i was asserting you know, because I was looking through the the show for the aspect ratios to change for when we're in a, a simulation versus not. And I forgot an important wrinkle in this point that Jonathan in the UK pointed out. A lot of people did. He was the first one. I just listened to your deep dive podcast on the season four premiere and wanted to point something out. When you were talking about Christina possibly being in a, dis- a digital simulation, you mentioned how there was always an aspect ratio change during simulations on the show. However, there's one exception to this. When Maeve was in her World War simulation during uh, uh, season three, episode mm. two, 
There was no aspect ratio change until she realized everything she was experiencing was a simulation. Only did the letterboxing slowly right. drop down into the frame to inform the viewers. They may be doing the same thing with Christina's this season if she indeed is living in a simulation. So Yeah, it's their get out of jail free card. And I I I don't remember how I felt about that at the time. I I would have to go back and listen to that podcast. I didn't have time. But I bet I was kind of like, this is feels pretty rug pulley, and if they do it again, I'm gonna be pissed. But Yeah. If I'm being honest about the language of this show, it is consistent for someone inside a simulation that is deluded into thinking it's real to see that real world aspect ratio until they the the realization dawns on them. Mm-hmm. So and that consistency doesn't have to be satisfying. It can just be right. consistent, right? Right. Now, I will say that it's important to point out that they did this shit in the second episode of season three. It's not like they were hanging, banging on a whole season with us being mm-hmm. deluded along with the host. It was a pretty quick reveal. So if they are doing something like this, I guess I would expect it to be revealed similarly swiftly. So we'll see. We'll see. I, but I don't know. I The other thing that people are not connecting, if this is a pre-Westworld is what the young I, I've never seen any of these theories that, that tie in the young men running down the the staircase ex, ex, excited to be here and how cool it is and how an amazing experience and how they're looking forward to doing it like is is this akin to like when World of Warcraft came out and people are just in chat saying how cool it is to be in Orgrimmar or wherever the hell they are uh, could, could it be that could it be like this is some virtualized chat integration that is is talking about a video game world, not a real physical place. I mean, yeah, like if you're taking if you're talking about the future past the Westworld opening and they're you're saying that these four kids are got halos in some room and they're experiencing this as a sim. Yeah, I got yeah. that. I, I said it doesn't have to, especially now that people pointed out the simulation thing is only consistent when the person realizes the simulation. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm backing off that this is the real world. Um or I'm not insisting it's the real world. I, st- I still think that's the most uh-huh. likely possibility, but I have to concede that, yes, it could all be a simulation. It still doesn't change right. the point. There's no way that this could predate the original Westworld. Or at least I don't see a way for it to do that. Yeah, I mean, well, I was thinking, like, and maybe this is a video game that was made before the real Westworld, right? And so this is, like, a human Christina <laughs> writing stories in a video game that is eventually going to turn into a physical real world kind of part. All right. Well, let me debate with you a bit because like the way uh-huh. I understand it is like the world of Westworld is essentially the same as ours up until Ford and, and Arnold created this new sophisticated AI. They work together and like the sophisticated brain host interfaces and the halo shit was all developed based on that technology. So like, yeah. Fair. If that technology was like now, if they had established if that these was are NPCs, what if these aren't even humans? What if these are written by Christina to to give players of the video game an experience like they're in a park? See, I is Manhattan. I actually like that as as this is like uh, some exp- this goes back to my theory that the Shaloris is running some kind of experimentation on hosts and their inherent goodness. And she's recreating environment to test host morality, putting them literally in the position of the human and seeing if they would do something differently. So, like, 
Yeah, that's one of the theories I'm definitely entertaining. All right, so everybody keep in mind the the letterboxing uh, subtleties. Let's move on to James W. Hey, guys, thanks for the great coverage over the years. You're welcome, James. Regarding Christina, at the end of season three, yes, Dolores is erased, but was she actually dead, though? Is Christina actually Dolores but without any memories and is alive and out on her own and this is who she is when not programmed? Is this her base self? I think what he's saying is, okay, sure, Dolores got erased, but if her physical body, that erector set obsidian body, was still functional, is it possible that she's essentially been refurbished (laughs) to factory default and put into some kind of world or simulation or setting at her default state? I don't know. I mean, I thought it was the other way around, right? Like host bodies could be destroyed all you want as long as the Marvel retains uh, its memories. You can just slot that into another host. But like I I was under the impression that they were actively deleting her mind in all those scenes. Agreed. Because you're right. It's like, well, if her body survives with a new marble, like we've seen hosts with different marbles in them and they act completely differently. So uh-huh. like. I don't think and like um, I think a host without like a base personality or program would appear like a drone like they would respond to basic commands and stuff but all be very flat effect like mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is interesting I just don't know that this is exactly what's happening but it's an interesting possibility and if you strip off the this is her base personality it is kind of interesting if they did something with that original stronger sturdier body of Dolores like Shaloris would see the inherent value of having like a few of these erector set originals around. Right. Oh yeah. I remember the way she blocked that sword shot from Maeve last season. Mm-hmm. That seems useful. Yeah. Having, having a endoskeleton out of titanium is much better than our calcium infused bones uh-huh. <laughs> when it comes to stuff like that. Just survivability. Um, Moving on, out-of-state boogers. Says, Hello, fellow meat puppets. In season one, there was a heavy commentary about being on a loop. I think there's evidence of that same theme happening in this episode. When Dolores wakes up, it's shot in the same way as season one, staring down her face as she awakes. It seems like she loops. Or it seems like the loops, though, have been improved to be spread across multiple characters, maybe so it's more sustainable. For example, Dolores is on a loop where she's searching for meaning in her life, but writing other people's hosts uh, and and or other hosts and people's loops. Then they're getting her as a narrator in their heads as she creates her characters, which end up being in their loops. Maybe somewhere else, someone is narrating Dolores's loop. I think what he's saying is like, um, you know, like a circle jerk. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> that uh, everybody's in, everybody's involved in someone else's business, so you don't yeah. notice your own loop. This, yeah, I, something Ouroboros about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something something very like it's Arnold creating Dolores, recreating Arnold. You know, shaping Dolores, all the, all that stuff too, right? The yeah, the the cyclical themes are all over this show. Um. It's almost like she's. Are you postulating here? I'm talking to the emailer um, that this is like her being Arnold and and putting like the voice of Arnold into these NPCs' heads in their in this case like Dolores's voice into their heads and trying to bring about consciousness again in whatever world she's in. I, I just don't think she's that aware of what's going on. Um, 
but I don't know. No, there is a little bicameral mind implications of this, but I have most this. I don't know. There's something cool. Okay. Let's say that you had Westworld Mm 2.0 and everyone in the control center, all of the Lees in the world, all of the story creators, uh, the architects, whatnot, they were all hosts too. Yeah. They didn't know it. Would it take them more or less longer to figure out that they're hosts on loops because of the nature of their reality that openly they're involved? They're like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Uh like I think it would be less, but I couldn't be sure of that. See, I think it would take longer because really, yeah, I I don't know. It's like if you were programming a simulation for people. I, this is where the simulation people, because there's people out there unironically that uh, have, have this point of view that like if, if we ever develop a situation like in the Matrix where there's a way that we could simulate reality one to one and is indistinguishable from reality. Mm-hmm. The second that we achieve that, the odds of you not being in a simulation are almost zero. Yeah, I don't I'm not sure exactly how that thought experiment plays out, but it reminds me of this, that. If you're working in an environment where you are constructing a completely artificial reality and you're part of that artificial reality, I think the fact that you are in your mind, the puppet master makes you less questioning the strings on you. But you're saying it might make you more paranoid. Well, yeah, I maybe hadn't thought about it because there's also um, the factor of like the the trauma, the pain, right? Bringing about uh, the the form of consciousness uh, that they had in season one. So like. Yeah, you would think like the host inside the park going through that would experience more trauma and pain than the host who are programming them. Uh, Wait till they pick out their health plans each year (laughs) and fill out their tax forms. I mean, have you considered that? A lot of trauma and pain and grief from Ford, I got to say. So, yeah, not no small amount. (laughs) I don't know. Interesting, interesting. Interesting thought. I do. I do like that kind of like uh, Da Vinci hand writing the other Da Vinci hand as a way to like keep the you know like that they're writing loops to keep the void from thinking about the fact that they're on loops. It's interesting. We'll see how that pans out. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Zach S. I said I asked this question in instant talk, but I was thought I'd raise it again here since it's going to be a big question moving forward. Assuming that the William we witnessed in the hope is the host we saw Shaloris have murder the real William at the end of season three, is this version of William a acting of his own accord, buying up land and servers for his own plot, B, acting under the controller direction of Shaloris, simply upon playing the role of William a la the Future World movie, or C, neither, there's a third option I didn't consider. You guys threw out the idea that they'd evolve William into the man in black character from the original movie, just a vicious robot dressed in all black, no longer tied down by any Isaac's rules of robotics, but this is Westworld, so surely even a character stripped down and motivationless as the man in black would be given some more complex and morally ambiguous motives. Of course, there's also an in-universe answer that will be revealed the next episode or two, especially when we get insight into the version of William being suspended on that Vitruvian man host contraption that we've seen in the trailers. I'm curious to speculate on why and through what means this is all happening, though. What's the plan that requires all that land to be purchased and whose plan is it? We've heard in versions, uh, places that the Christine version of Dolores is an actual bona fide flesh and blood human, not a post director said advanced human like host, but no- born naturally of human parents. This has been confirmed by the creators. Apparently, again, asterisks on all of this shit. They're all professional liars, literally. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? We've uh, been seeing 
We've been seeing speculation that the Christine Dolores is not in the real world, but is actually in a sublime. This makes a ton of sense to me. Perhaps the hosts begin to program and populate their empty world with, well, other programs, which capture the nuances of a human exactly. So perhaps she's human in that her code is indistinguishable from another human's code and looks nothing like a host code. Christine would be a human in the same way a recreation of any other guest inside a sublime would be human. This makes a lot more sense uh, for how hosts would be able to program humans. They're not programming actual humans in the real world. They're programming humans within their simulation. And the thing that sends this theory over the cliff for me is this explains why Teddy's there. If this is a sublime, it's not Teddy going to Dolores. It's much more likely that Teddy created and is now watching over Christine. Could the findings from this grand experiment designed to recreate humans and hosts within the sublime and each other's images be what Bernard will be so eager to share with the real world? I suppose that's all possible. Um, it doesn't have a satisfying explanation for the young men running down the staircase, all giddy at the new world they're being, sure. being able to explore. Because I like it yeah. up to that. I like the idea that in a sublime time is happening so fast that they can create, they can take a base level Westworld and turn it into a metropolis and it's fully functional and blah, blah, blah. And they've re you know, and, and Teddy of course would want to recreate Dolores and he'd do it through the same method that Dolores created. I like all that, but what the fuck are humans doing being tourists in it? Unless it's it's in the sublime and they've recreated a Westworld type environment within the sublime for the host to fuck around with no consequences in which would be kind of wild from a moral and ethical perspective. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, with the, the data from the forge and stuff, I, I suppose there's a lot of possibilities. Um, yeah. I mean, other than the, the people on the stairs talking about their Westworld like experience, I, I don't know. I don't see any real stoppers to that. I do like the theory because like, it kind of dovetails. As you see, my, my idea was in Sublime, the hosts have created a perfect society, like essentially the Garden of Eden never fell. You know, mankind never was tempted and they've developed a perfect society. And Bernard is sure. a- anxious to tell, share with the world their secrets of success. Um, but that's a little bit more Pollyanna and utopian than, than Westworld kind of traffics in. But that's the yeah. other question. Are we getting into what the the joys and Nolans of the world consider late game Westworld? Could where, because that's what, it, what I was talking about in in uh, like Game of Thrones. Like, what is Martin playing at? You know, he says he got this bittersweet ending. What does bitter mean? What does sweet mean? Is Westworld going to be dystopian and nihilistic to its end, or is there going to be some kind of like turn towards the light at the end? Yeah, and with the amount of time that's passed, you know, with Bernard and the Sublime, they're the apparent amount of passing time. You got to think that inside of the Sublime, time being, passing much faster, there's going to be a lot more of it passed. And potentially, yeah. You know, human civilization could evolve quite a bit. Uh, and then host civilization could potentially evolve, evolve even more. So, like, you know, maybe there is a lot of strife and maybe it's not all good and just like hosts are better than humans inherently and so they create a perfect See, society but with millennia worth of time to refine and iterate they do eventually reach it yeah I could see something like that that would be really fucked up but also something because like I've I've expressed the fact that I'm very skeptical about oh hosts are these perfect unblemished 
you know, and humans are just inherently evil. And we're right. like, I, I thought that was like, God damn, if you really think that about humanity, what? Um, so this would be kind of like uh, a rebuke to that, that the hosts left to their own device in a paradise have shitted it up just as much as we have. You know, and, and maybe they're, they're virtual the other side of that. Right. And, and that in that Ooh. respect, they're no different than humans. We just haven't had the time to get there yet. So they're like in the Federation of Planets future where they've gone through World War right. Three. They've gone through eugenics wars and they've rejected that. And, and, and they're now in a, a you know, post all that bullshit society. Yeah, could be. That would be cool, too. And it's also because, uh, you know, the one, I guess, advantage of a simulation is you can't fuck up the actual world you're on. <laughs> sure. You could just reset it. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we only do have the one planet uh, for now. Uh, any other analysis on that or should we move on? No, let's keep going. Mr. X from Colorado says, in regards to how the cartel got a hold of the dam, perhaps in the Westworld future, the power grid is now in some sort of fusion or other alternate source of energy. I can't recall the host or how the hosts are powered, but it seems to be quite advanced. So maybe hydropower plants have been decommissioned and sold off, though the dam serves other purposes than just power generation. In this case, an organization that needs an off-the-grid, reliable, and self-sustaining power source, which brings me to my next point. So this, the theory here is that the the Hoover Dam is no longer vital to the nation's power grid. We've got some kind of fusion power that makes it obsolete, but it would still be useful for, you know, like, you know, like Mr. X laid out here. Uh, mm. So, so far, so good. I find it hard to imagine that your power technology would so outstrip your computing technology that you could run that amount of modern computers off of an antiquated power system but but the hoover dam is still know. pretty like you could i mean yeah, you could run a lot of our standards but by westworld standards if if we're well, saying like the hoover dam is worthless as a power source yeah. then could it power modern computers i don't know because as in Moore's law turned from like computers getting smaller and smaller to computers getting more and more energy efficient because our, our uh, we, sure. we've stopped yeah. making truly more powerful chips. And what we've done uh-huh. is starting to optimize them and parallel process them and adding more cores. And because we've reached a limit to where you can't fucking put more circuits in a wafer silicon, right. the We're electrons so literally start here. That, yeah, yeah, they start jumping the start short circuiting internally. Um uh-huh. So, yeah, maybe like it, the, we're thinking of this wrong that like, yeah, in the future, the computers get more and more energy efficient instead of like more and more power hungry. I mean, in practice, it Could just be. makes everything more power hungry. Right, right. Right. And then you talk about quantum computing and then you're back yeah. to like scales that we can miniaturize True. on again. And then, yeah, but who knows? I don't fucking understand quantum computing. So I'm going to shut up at that. At this <laughs> Good. OK, good. We'll have yeah. we'll have a computer scientist uh, write in, no doubt, to, to let us know. But you could be right. I mean, this is a good theory, right? That like power generation has moved beyond the Hoover Dam. And yes, yes. it is, in fact, so, so now this is a power computers and. Now it's a curiosity that can be auctioned. Like, like you, you would, if you told someone in the 1960s, you know what? The United States is going to sell off all these Minuteman silo to anybody who wants one for like $100,000. Uh-huh. And they're going to turn them into like fucking mansions and shit. They would, <laughs> they would lose their fucking mind. No way. No right. way are they going to sell off these Trident missile silos and stuff. Why? What do we do for national security? Come on. Exactly. <laughs> so like the Hoover Dam suddenly becomes kind of like a historical curiosity if you're in a post-fusion power grid. And mm-hmm. hell, why? I mean, we could turn it into a national park, I guess, or we could sell it off to, to people. Um, 
So anyway, that's the start of the theory. Mr. X continues. Sure, they state the turbines could run maintenance-free for 100 years, but the caveat would be that's only the case if there's enough water to run through them. You've made notice in the news lately that Lake Mead is in danger of dropping to a level mm-hmm. that's too low to produce energy in the new future, in the near future, rather, let alone whatever year the show is set in, plus another 100 years on top of that. Did they solve a reverse climate change in the world of Westworld? I guess I could buy it if they developed better power sources and engaged in massive geoengineering efforts, but looking at the shots of current day Hoover Dam as depicted in the show, I just couldn't shake the thought. Remember in the first podcast where Jim is complaining about how Olympiad is both oh wait, let's let's start right there first. Okay. Um You mentioned the ridiculous waterfall running through the data center. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that alone implies that they are not at the dead suck point where the yeah. the the water level so low that the turbines can no longer spin, um, which but, implies they did solve some kind of climate change crisis, right? Because yeah, I mean, yeah, the way we're going, there will be no water left. Yeah, you uh, all in the, the west, west and southwest scared a fuck out of me. I'm live I live next right? to the Great Lakes. I think we're going to be <laughs> set for the unless unless you y'all dig a trench. From Lake Michigan to the Colorado River, about. so yeah. they might. Like they're not going to give they up. They fucking might. Fucking, yeah, you know, they're not going to give up Vegas. And no, and they're, they're going to still grow like alfalfa further and further into water supplies across the country and and bankrupt us all with water. Yeah, they're still going to be growing alfalfa in the desert for the Saudis or whatever the fuck is happening. That's it's, it's going to be growing almonds for oh, milk and right. all the insane shit that's happening. Um, so yeah. Yeah, we'll see if we can dodge that bullet. But I, I, I don't know. Um, I think in the in, in terms of the show, they're telling us this is a hundred years of safe, secure, stable power for the robots to use. Yes. Um, remember the first podcast where Jim was complaining about how Olympiad has both the coolest and yet crappiest cubicle design. I'm paraphrasing here. Something to the effect of surrounded by walls of glass, with staring right at your neighbors, almost like some mm-hmm. kind of fish tank. <laughs> which uh-huh. should remind you of Westworld's diagnostic rooms. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm uh, that that th- 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 he's saying that this is another reinforcement of the Christina's reality is is not real. Sure, but I it puts her hope in. It's not real. It puts her in the 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 role of an architect, you know, tech designer. Yeah, yeah, and sure. not a host. But yeah, no, it's it's interesting the parallels are doing here and the inversions. Uh, moving on, Mike. Last Sunday, I was out with my family, and we got home after 10 o'clock. I realized when I went to bed that I missed the Westworld premiere, so I went to the HBO Max app, saw the Westworld logo, and hit play. The show opened with Dolores and Westworld, and eventually you see Teddy on the train and some of the human characters from seasons past. And mm-hmm. in my dreariness, I thought to myself that the show's creators were getting a little too cute, and they were going to show a mind-blowing revelation about the nature of the park. I fell asleep twice, and it took me over two hours to watch the episode. The show ends and the app asks if I want to play the next one. And as you can probably tell, I had stupidly rewatched season one, episode one. I'm so used to the Westworld shenanigans that I tricked myself. Uh, It blows my mind how many people got 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes into an episode that is identical to something they've already seen and just put the pieces together at the very end. Because I, I did this. I had the same experience. I hit play on the Westworld splash banner and it started and it, up episode one. And I'm like, right. this doesn't feel right. I checked the thing. And within like 45 seconds, I realized, shit, it put me on episode one of the first season. And I went and I what? clicked onto episode one of the fourth season. 
But like 45 minutes in and it's identical. Look, I get (laughs) they fuck with us on this show, but come on. I feel like there's a a handful of shows that could do this to you. Like Mr. Robot. Yes. Yeah. Mr. In fact, I think that might have happened to me in season four of Mr. Robot where I accidentally was started on something. And I think it's it's, it's, done this to you. This is a unique opportunity because Westworld has been off the air for many years. Almost everybody that probably was watching HBO now has switched to HBO Max and which I think your watch history got reset for all that stuff. Uh, so like if you're still on HBO now, it probably still it puts it, it queue you up for season four, episode one. But mm-hmm. from the, the app's perspective, you've not watched any of this shit. But but yeah, Reddit was full of right. tons of people <laughs> posting those this very experiences. And I feel like, yeah, Westworld's one of the few shows along the lines of like, I don't know. I feel like True Detective would do it too if they had a, if it wasn't an anthology, if it's a consistent cast. But like there's just a handful of shows that fuck with you so hard that well, shit, I guess we're going back to Westworld. We'll see how this goes, you know? Let me ask you this. Is this a huge mistake on HBO's part that probably turned people off of watching the show? Or this is a brilliant marketing maneuver mm. to get new people interested in a show that's four seasons old? Well, we'll see what the uh, the ratings on this week's episode are, if, if, if the gamble paid off. Yeah. Uh, Brett writes in, said, Caleb's light perimeter strategy works. I was camping a few years ago in an Indiana State Park. Fellow Hoosier here. When I arrived at our camp spot, another family was joining us that had already set up their camp. They immediately warned us of the raccoons being very aggressive. He said his tent had already been ripped open by... God damn, I've been at some places the, the raccoons are pretty pretty bold. I've never had them tear a tent. Uh, since they were from Chicago, oh, that explains the, the raccoons are all from Chicago. Okay. Oh yeah. Chica- Chicago raccoons. They're 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 a little they're different. Chicago raccoons. Yeah, tri- <laughs> Al Capone's private army uh-huh. <laughs> of raccoons. Uh, since uh, they're from Chicago, I asked them where their food was. Their plaid was in their tent. I thought that was a problem, but after seeing all the glowing eyes coming from the woods around us, not wanting to risk my own tent their vicious claws i decided to take other measures i gathered up all our lanterns and lights formed the perimeter around the edge of the woods and then i had everyone set up their tents on the inside of the perimeter of lights and it freaking worked we could see the beady-eyed little monsters all around us but they didn't dare breach the light fence we had created caleb's light strategy absolutely works in the real world at least against hoosier raccoons so this is keep that in mind why i'm not totally sold on building a fire keeps you protected when you're out in the woods, I, I get that it keeps you warm, protected from the elements, but the, the beasties, man, you can't see past a fire. And no matter what side you sit on, and it destroys your light, vision, it destroys your yeah. night vision. Yeah, I, I think like maybe if you everyone turned their back to the fire, that would be like the best okay. of all the worlds because then you could see their eyes coming and all that. But uh, but they could see you silhouetted. I mean, part of part of the reason true. you do the perimeter is to blind the the person outside of it, right? Yeah, and you stay in a dark inside. space where you preserve mm-hmm. your own vision and you can see them enter. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, don't light a fire if you can avoid it when you're deep in the woods alone. <laughs> That's your free. I mean, it, it's, it's, in most of North America, you're far uh, more danger of freezing to death or being yeah, yeah. exposed. So I'd, I'd start that fire. But, but yeah, yeah mm-hmm. if you're worried about raccoons tearing your tent, you want that uh, perimeter light. <laughs> Uh, go moving on to will. I just listened to the recap and I couldn't help but think about free will and predetermined destinies through the lens of Harry Seldon and foundation. Uh, 
Mm. Foundation, Harry Seldon developed psychohistory as a means to predict the future based on probabilities. However, psychohistory was limited to macro predictions based on the empire as a whole. I'd be remiss if I didn't say we have full coverage of Foundation Season 1 on Apple TV on the baldmove.com archive. So if you're into that and you didn't know, now you do. In the recap, you guys touched on the fact that although Rehoboam was making probabilistic predictions on an individual micro level, Rehoboam rigged the game to influence the outcome of these decisions. Once this computer was shut down, those micro predictions, for example, Caleb's suicide, likely go out the window without their thumb on the scale. However, I think it's likely or at least reasonable to think that Rehoboam would be able to predict the 10 to 12 year fall of humanity on a macro level because that's uh, the humans as acting as an entire group. Okay, are we are we with this analysis to this point? Sure. I also want to point out something that I um, that I noticed when I was doing my rewatch of last season, but I I don't think I pointed out in analysis is I think those ten to twelve year predictions were actually Solomon predictions. Mm. I don't know if we trust Solomon more than Rehoboam or not, but that's a subtle distinction. But one that I want to point out that 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 was Caleb looking at Solomon um, plans and readouts and predictions, and not the Rehoboam. Anyway. Uh, to that end, maybe free will varies according to micro and macro levels. The humans and hosts could have free will on an individual micro level to make decisions and live their lives. But free will doesn't mean much on the macro level, because no matter what individuals do or how they do it, the group ends up at the same place, thereby making free will illusory at a species level. Love to hear your thoughts. Um, I don't know. I feel like if it's illusory at any level, it nullifies the free will at other levels. I, I don't know, because I, I guess I don't view uh, the universe as a tiered level of uh, deterministic, right? It's either deterministic or it isn't. Yeah. I have a hard time. I mean, I like I said, I've, I've looked into the matter. Um, I've had a hard I've always had a hard time with the pre the um, the the deterministic universe as it applies to conscious beings. I didn't until Be- quantum theory started coming about and i started uh hearing more about it and then oh. i and then i start to have problems with the deterministic universe oh um because it seems to me that like the thing that the the, the the i don't know because i guess like even the ability to step back in quiet moments of contemplation and reflect on past actions and future probabilities and make changes into your own behavior and your own self but like, I guess the determinist would be like, well, your ability to step back and make those determinations were all based uh, on the initial atoms as they congealed out of the boiling hot Big Bang. You know, and I'm like, fuck, I guess. <laughs> right, right. No, it gets so, so weird with with quantum theory stuff. And like like we said earlier, I don't understand it, but like it seems to cast a lot of doubt on a deterministic universe. Yeah, if you can't reliably know the position or velocity of any individual quantum particles, then how the fuck can anyone ever at a micro or macro level simulate everything? Like, yeah, how? Yeah, I don't know. Um, God, I would love to have like some philosopher talk about uh, like nitty gritty about free will versus predestination and, and determinism because I, yeah, I, I, I start, start reading the Wikipedia articles on compatibilism and my <laughs> eyes cross. I'm like, whatever, whatever. Right. It feels like I got free will and that's what matters. I um, love that stuff. I'm just not sure I'm smart enough or educated enough to actually engage in it 
on any kind of real level. I will say that if, if you don't have free, I don't know what it means to not have free will at a species level. So you're saying that like, if humans are going to blow themselves up with the atomic bomb, it doesn't matter the, the extent that some individuals think that's a mad idea that, that you're going to get blown up regardless. But like, maybe that's true, but like on things that are less existential, you know, I like how, like, okay, if your country's going to be embroiled in a war, no matter what your individual actions in that circumstance might lend you to live or die. So like, how would that, like you might, we might be predestined as a society to go through some apocal war, but like our individual decisions that still matter within that, like who wins, who loses, who lives, who dies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think don't know. that's what he's I, saying. Um, I don't know. I haven't considered it. Um, because yeah, it's like what? So like, yes, on a macro level, but, but then it's like, so that, that the way I would say it's like, okay, yes, on a macro level, we don't have as many choices. Um, but then, 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 okay, so your country's in a war or whatever. But then you zoom back down to micro level, you have tons of decisions, and that directly affects your individual outcome in that overall macro situation happening. So it's like it feels to me like you're just flipping the end of the telescope around instead of actually doing something. But like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a philosopher. Uh, Gareth, something in your latest episode on the auguries got me thinking, you say Christina's New York feels like a park, but who would go to such a boring place? Who would go to New York city? Jesus Christ. Why right. would you ever? I agree. Uh, go to Chicago. It's better. <laughs> it's like an off. They have elevated trains, right? It's like an office simulator. Uh, if this is just kind of, what if this is some kind of past world, a theme park, a uh, park themed after New York as it was long ago before the war, a New York that no longer exists. Caleb lives in a dusty L.A. Maeve lives in a grubby cabin in the woods. The Hoover Dam looks dried up and dusty. Only Christina's world looks fresh and cool and high tech. What if this New York is a park that replicates their past? It looks futuristic to us, sure, but it, it isn't futuristic to the inhabitants of the show. It's just their present or maybe their much missed past. Are we God, all living... In a Mad Max society that people are taking vacations to past Earth to get away from. Is that what's happening, Jim? I mean, I suppose it's possible, right? I mean, the the world we see Christina in looks very much like the pre-riot world of the Westworld was in, right? Yeah. Uh, We do see, when when we see it, uh, almost certainly, yeah, the the real world looks a little crustier. Yeah. but then again, you 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 know you have Caleb working on skyscrapers and stuff, installing cables. It's not like the entire world needs to look dusty and graffitied and. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people are missing that. That like, it's not like L.A. looks like a dilapidated hellhole. It's just that Caleb is a blue collar worker and doesn't have a ton of money, and where he lives is probably not the best neighborhood yeah. kind of thing. More and some than, of L.A. right now looks like a dilapidated hellhole. Some of it looks sure. like a pristine, shining world, gleaming city. Yeah, it's a mob. Yeah. yeah. Also, so. here's another thing. When whenever I say that this, it's a boring world argument, like who would want to do? I always think of Grant, uh, like. After we finished that podcast, I thought of Grand Theft Auto. The Grand Theft Auto is like you're just driving around in a car, you listen to music, it's just traffic and people walking on sidewalks, and it's pretty boring until you start fucking shit up. And the cool part about that is you're living in a kind of a loose simulation of the real world, except for what if you could just do whatever the fuck you wanted to without consequences. Mm-hmm. A simulation in New York City today would still be pretty exciting because you can fuck shit up. 
and then you can hit the totally. you could go home and not spend the rest of your life in jail you know what i mean so like yeah, maybe these guys are like we're gonna go uh beat up some homeless people and we're going to sexually assault a bunch of people and we're gonna put the gun on a bus full of nuns and we're gonna have a good old time and then go home and laugh about it in exact the same way that the people that host in westworld that that exciting westworld was just their their town you know like they're just going about buying their cans of paint and doing their errands and then it's only exciting to the people living outside because they get to fuck shit up so i guess yeah boring new york city be pretty exciting in a video game context and it's certainly been in many you know like what wasn't the uh the what was that tom clancy game the the agency or whatever wasn't that the department the unit that was all set in new york and it was exciting because you got to fuck shit up sure got to shoot people consequence free yeah when we play devil's advocate here a lot right um yeah people throw out theories and there are many theories out there uh all more or less plausible uh and we you know talk about them and discuss them from all angles so you know if we're shitting on a theory it's not necessarily necessarily because it can't be true it's because we need to look at it from all angles sometimes it's funny that too. Sometimes it's funny to shit on a few. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, ben says, I found a few challenges with this episode with pacing being a big one. Um, huh. I haven't seen a lot of people complaining about the pacing. I will. Hmm. I will say that the fades to black um, felt very much like concrete vignettes. And that was an interesting editing choice. Like it, it, instead of like a, a coherent story, it felt like I watched like three or four independent, like almost uh, Pulp Fiction Tarantino style stories. Yeah, I didn't notice any pacing issues myself. Um, those those fades to black a lot of times are, are used to designate uh, a loop that's ended and is I, restarting in 100 terms. But yep. I don't know if that's exactly how they're using them here. Yeah. And also there's like, I thought the there's like, and it's a pretty good action scene at the beginning, a pretty good action scene at the end. Like from that standpoint, I thought it was paced pretty well, but you know, everyone's uh, got their own subjective opinions on that. Ben moves on as always. The music choices are excellent. The acoustic version of video game by Lana Del Rey, easily better than the original. Wow. You're going to piss off a lot of Del Rey stands there, but uh However, I think they've given too much away. Have Nolan enjoyed dumbed down the mystery box already? It appears to me a video game was chosen for a character who was writing for a game company. This to me looks like they've moved away from the theme park version of Westworld and more to a neural interface VR, VR world, i.e. a video game or it's some representation of a matrix world that's built to control humans. It could be that literal, but, you know... I think the I've always conceived as Westworld as a real life video game or a video game that's played in real life. And the, the actual song video game has precious little to do about playing video games. It's more like Jim mentioned in their full analysis episode, just a love story an ideal love story of people who find each other and everything just fits and works. Um, like, like perhaps uh, Dolores and Teddy would have been without the f- fucking around at the guests. Um, what do you think about that? Man, how, how do you tell anything in this world? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Westworld twists you up so much that it's hard to say. But yes, clearly they're leaning into that 
video game aspect um will that be like the reality she's in is a video game i don't know i don't know i almost feel like and this is maybe this me being contrarian and devil's advocate i almost feel like that the opposite's true that if they're going to be that heavy-handed i would suspect the like like i would lean harder into this being a physical space that she's inhabiting because you know westworld very rarely is well is that true i feel like westworld's very rarely that in your face about something mm-hmm. um, yeah i think you're right but i could be wrong i'm i'm trying to think of the other classic uh choices that we've seen um j- j- uh uh j- jawadified ramin ramin jawadis mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. a lot of the nails yeah there was like was this was it wasn't where is my mind one of them too yeah speaking of mr robot i think um, there was a nirvana song at some point we'll see i could i now that the mave uh simulation letterboxing realization has been pointed out to me i'm i'm dropping all objections to considering the new york city that uh christina is inhabiting as being a has to be a physical space it could certainly be a virtual one uh, you guys mentioned the DeForge and the guest data being stored in this, on the Hoover Dam. Now, it's my opinion uh, on this that seven years have gone past. Most world leaders and people of power would have lost that power by now, and the younger people who more than likely never attended the park would be in power. So does that mean that the now the guest data is becoming less important than seven years ago? So what plot point will the Forge hold? I get the sublime, but the Forge would be less relevant. In the world that I've grown up in, it seems like dinosaurs and fossils stay in political power mm-hmm. the entire like the, the 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 leadership of most of the political regimes has been remarkably consistent from the time I was a young man and a child to the time it is now. And it's like even if you had senators or representatives that gotten ousted and they're no longer they're literally in power, like the idea that they could get a meeting with a president or somebody like it, it would be pretty easy, you know, like Nancy Pelosi gets voted out of office next week. She could probably pick up the phone and talk to president Biden whenever she wanted. She could probably even get on the horn to talk to world leaders uh, in different spheres. Uh, so like, I still think there's a lot of value, even if the, that host date is seven years old. If you had a subset of the richest, most powerful people in the world, that would still be incredibly powerful because even if they're not directly in power, they're still going to have some ways to get access to those levers. Sure. Sure. A lot of power is just who, you know, um, and the relationships you have with him. Um, yeah. And I, I don't uh, look, I've, <laughs> it's, it's always amazing to me how long people stay in power too. Um, it's not even just that there's a continuity of like relationships and stuff, mm-hmm. but like, like, I mean, Biden is a great example of this, right? He's been a, a, senator and now president for a long ass time all our lives yeah all my life certainly um so seven years doesn't seem like that long in terms of who's going to be pulling the strings of power from office even and then if you want to like really put your cynical hat on and 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 not worry about political power if you're talking about wealthy people billionaires sure those fuckers stay around forever. Like I'm not aware Until of a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. maybe their kids squandered a fortune, but it's, it's pretty hard to squander But like, like that's, that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty fucking permanent. So, and that's what, we're, we're, um, 
and and guess what? They're driving around a meat puppet of one of the most richest, most powerful men in the world. Uh, the guy who runs Delos Corp or, or did true or to, to the world, I guess, still does. So and I, I will tell you that almost every billionaire on this planet could pick up the phone and talk to almost any political person that they want to yeah. with very little like I mean, I don't know if you can get the you know, if you're just some Joe Blow billionaire, whatever the hell that means. But like if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett wanted to talk to President Trump or Biden, they could have made that happen within a week. I guarantee. Uh-huh. So I think that's why the, the that host power still has power. And even if it doesn't, the fact that you got that much raw data on a certain percentage of humanity that you could use to extrapolate and feed into things like Rehoboam and stuff like that, that's, that still would be. I, I'm not sure how old that data would have to be before it was completely useless. But I'm thinking like on the order of like 20, 30, maybe even 50 years. I was going to say, if you had data on Nixon or Reagan or something, would that still be relevant? Uh, probably not, but. Right. Yeah. Um, Not sure if you guys noticed this, but the CGI and buildings and surroundings when Christina's story is being told is very different than the real world we saw before, especially in Kayla's POV. Yeah, but she's a white collar, mm-hmm. you know, data pusher, programmer living in Manhattan. And he's a cable cable guy uh, in, in L.A. Like, I, I mean, have you guys been to Times Square? Have you been to Skid Row in L.A.? Those are vastly different places in the same fucking country, you know, mm-hmm. like. I, I guess I don't. I, I guess I grew up in a cornfield in, in Indiana. It's always been obvious to me that uh, there's not a homogeneity to like the even look and feel of that. It's getting to that point with all the, the Applebee's and the, the commodification of, of everything. But uh-huh. yeah, like there, there's still like, you know, San Antonio looks very different from L.A., which looks very different from Seattle, which looks very different from Chicago, which so I, I don't have I, I'm not I'm not seeing it. Are you, Jim? I do agree with Aaron that Caleb is on two timelines. Maeve's flashback moment in the cabin showed Caleb shot and bleeding in Maeve's arms. When you add to what Maeve said to Caleb about regretting leaving his family, I absolutely believe Maeve has the ability of like a mini Rehoboam inside her, which again is a reason why she didn't want Caleb to come along with her. It's possible. I feel like they're playing with something. Like I thought in the previous season we had dealt with both and the only two existing supercomputers like Rehoboam or Solomon, right? But clearly, there's another one uh, that we see in this flashback. So how many more could there be? Is this programming that can be transferred to a host, a sufficiently advanced host? I don't know. See, I guess I thought that the, they killed Rehoboam in the season ending last year, and this was them assaulting the Solomon compound where Shirak's brother was stored. Uh, the previous version of Rehoboam. Was uh, it? I thought all the stuff. Oh, you might be right. You might. Was all the stuff with Dolores's memory being erased happening out at the Rehoboam compound? No, it was happening. It was happening in the, it was the Rehoboam. Yeah, it was. It was the Rehoboam compound, and which wasn't where Maven and Caleb were fucking around. Now I, I'd have to look at the, I'd have to look at the Solomon scenes from last season and can directly compare it. But I, that was my impression that they were taking like that. There was probably bad. It wasn't Rehoboam was like all the eggs in one basket. There was probably various data centers. One of them was the backup facility that was the original Solomon copy. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I could be fooling myself. Maybe this is Maeve doing predestination stuff. I think that. Um, well, but we saw the location of both of yes. the the, ro- the supercomputers last season, right? One uh-huh. of them is in this compound that's like got all the the you know frozen. Uh, what do they call them? Outliers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, got yeah. all the outliers in it. Uh-huh. Had the frozen brother of Serac in it. It was all very white and neutral colors, and it was it was an underground facility beneath this like Hasi in the shack kind of deal. But it didn't look anything like the building we see in the flashback. It didn't right? up on this mountain. Um, and then the other location of this, oh. the other supercomputer is the inside tower itself. So like, yeah, this almost has to be un- unless they're tricking us with like perspectives in the flashback. This almost has to be a third supercomputer. And I, I think if it's, yeah, I, I buy that, that there's more than even two backups. So, but I, I had the mountain. I got to, I guess I got to go maybe back and, and did some stuff and moved one of them and tried it again. I, I don't know. I don't know. Cause he wasn't dead at the end of last season, just cut off from his, uh, his, his God Oracle. Yeah. His Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, cause I, I guess I just feel like the, her, like when you when you say when you add that what Maeve said to Caleb about regretting leaving his family at the end of this episode, he's leaving his family and he's already regretting it. Like, I don't think that's referring to a future or a past decision he made. It's like if, if Jim shows up in a fucking Jeep with a 50 caliber on the top and says, come with me, we got to save the world from robots. I might go with him, but I might say, man, I don't know about leaving my family. And that doesn't mean I did it in the past or in the future. But sure. um. Do you think another reason why Caleb might feel unfulfilled is because at the end of season three, Dolores or Maeve can't remember which one builds Caleb up to be the leader of men and some someone of importance. However, his life never turned out like that. So he really can't feel satisfied with his life now. The show's POV has posed that question to him. And he says in the form of like, well, you just like a war, you know, like if, if you are John Connor and then you beat the robots and you're just some dude like is is like this is like a you know a hurt locker kind of situation are you ever going to miss that 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 being in the action being in control i don't know because like it could be that he did was a successful military leader it seems like you know if you want to buy this as a flashback not in quotation marks that he and mave had some final stand against this big robot where he got grievously wounded mm-hmm. um I don't know. Is Caleb the kind of guy that would want to seek that? Or is he the kind of guy like Cincinnati that, you know, once the war is over, he's ready to go back to the plow. I feel like the latter yeah. as I know him. But, and maybe not, you know, willingly, but he certainly seems stuck in it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It could be that he's lying to himself and he does miss like he, this is kind of like Williams theory that like they, that, that in this experience of fighting the robots, he found that his real self and he's missing, mm-hmm. you know, just like William felt chafed that like, you know, his, his life outside of Westworld wasn't his true self. It could be that they're building that parallel. So, uh, the fact that the map and maze is back this season makes me think that I wouldn't be surprised if this is the final season. At the very least, we have a natural step, stepping off point like the Expanse did. Um, and it goes full 360 as to what the main plot or what the main point to the first season about robots finding sentience was. This time will be about humans finding sentience and not getting caught up in some Matrix style world, which has happened over the last seven years. Um, 
I well, so again, I've said they're professional liars, but uh, Joy, Lisa Joy has said that they do not intend this to be the final ep- this season. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if HBO lets them make more. Um, I think it's always smart for a show that doesn't have an extension to leave every season off as it could be the finale. And I feel like most of the Westworld series have ended that way with maybe the possible exception of two. Like three, there's definitely more story to tell, but that's a definitive uh, threat has been identified and defeated and you have a fresh future to for the main protagonist an uncertain one but a fresh one that anything could happen um so i i always think it's great for shows to be able to do that like i really hate when they build up these big massive things that demand answers and they get canceled sure absolutely yeah uh, and, so. and i think it's smart to do you know some kind of cyclical thing it's it's very much in the dna of the show uh so if they are going to end it whenever they end it um yeah, the idea that we are not so different from the hosts makes a lot of sense. So there you have it. That's our feedback episode for uh, season four, episode one of Westworld. Uh, we will be back this weekend, Sunday night, immediately after the airing, uh, the first airing, the 9 p.m. Eastern airing of Westworld. We'll be on baldmove.com uh, doing our instant take podcast where Jim and I talk about our first off the cuff uh, thoughts about the episode. Then we will be entertaining uh, our listeners thoughts and ideas on the instant talk episode. If you want to participate live in that, you got to be supporter support.baldmove.com to find out how you can. Uh, and if you want to leave feedback for future episodes of these feedback uh, roundups, it's easy to do. So Westworld at baldmove.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you this weekend for the next episode of Westworld. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you. <laughs>